As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Hello, Talent Magnet community. I just wanted to uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode. You are going to hear from one of our faculty, Don Frerichs, who is leading an extraordinary leader series as a part of the Talent Magnet platform. Don is one of our longstanding faculty members. He's an incredible coach, an incredible leader, and he is highlighting extraordinary leaders as a part of this series. So we hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. And without further ado, I turn it over to Don. Hello, everyone. This is Don Frerichs. I am guest host for Mike Sippel and the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. This is the Extraordinary Leaders series, the conversations that we have to try to help you learn from extraordinary leaders about what they did to become great at leading others. Today with me is Greg Harmeyer from Tier One Performance. Hey, Greg. Hi, Don. Super excited about our conversation. I know that we could probably go in a lot of directions and probably go on and on, maybe too long for our listeners. Greg and I like to talk about this topic a lot. So I'm looking forward because Greg is truly one of those people that embodies great leadership. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. Greg Harmeyer is the CEO and co-founder of Tier One Performance Solutions. Tier One is a management consulting firm that activates strategy through people. With a unique combination of human performance consulting expertise and digital agency execution, Tier One helps organizations bring their most strategic initiatives to life. Their clients include Macy's, FedEx, PNG, Delta, and over 250 other leading organizations. Tier One was named to the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies in the US each of the past 13 years and was named one of Cincinnati's best places to work for eight straight years. The company as an employee-owned B Corporation was named at 2019 Best for the World, honoree by the B Lab. Greg, when I read that, I once again said, I know I love your company in so many ways, but that is a tremendous track record. When you started things, could you have even imagined that that would have been some of the accolades you would have received? Yeah, uh, thank you, Don. Thanks for the kind of introduction. You don't obviously set out with, I think, the accolades or awards. We always appreciate that recognition because we really focus on the inside out, right? And then I think the people who are part of it feel a sense of pride when it's recognized by others. So we certainly appreciate it. I know that you are very humble because I personally know you and have known you for over a decade. And it's hard to accept those kinds of accolades. But part of what people believe that you do extremely well as a leader is define the culture, grow the culture, defend the culture, nourish the culture, that you are very much a leader. And would you mind if I gave you a little feedback? Sure. Unbeknownst to Greg, I asked some people that work for him, hey, can you give me some feedback about Greg? And one of the people, and I've got a lot here, but one says, you embody the mission, vision, and purpose of tier one performance. Your conviction is as business as a force for good is inspiring and they love the power that you created behind the people first concept. Say a little bit for our listeners, because I, for me, I think your 
leadership certainly starts with and is not totally defined with defending the culture, but you are the chief culture advocate for tier one. And that seems to be working extremely well, at least from my perspective and from those of the people that I asked for feedback. Thanks. Culture. Culture is a big word. And I think it gets some people, it feels fuzzy to some people. And to me, it just comes down to how we treat each other and how we behave and how we act. And that's easy to say, but it's critical if you can get great people to join an organization, to stay engaged in an organization, to want to provide their discretionary energy to an organization, then you can do amazing things externally. And to do that, I think you got to get to the root of what do people care about? Everybody cares about being paid fairly. Everybody cares about things that every management team has to set up, benefits and work structure and whatnot. But they care more deeply about things like, how do we treat each other? How do I feel at the end of the day when I leave? Do I want to go back in the morning? Am I working with people that I like to work with? Are they kind to me? Do they care about me? And do I care about them? And do I feel like we're working towards a greater purpose? And do I feel good about both what we're doing and the way we're going about doing it? Those things are just so critically important. And ironically, they're also the part, I think, for leaders that are the most rewarding. Like creating that environment is what makes it truly most fulfilling for anybody who really cares about people and cares about what they're leading. It's a virtuous cycle. It's not an easy thing. You put a lot of energy into it. And from my observation, most companies don't. In fact, I would say the large majority of companies, you'll want a better culture, but they don't do everything that you do about that. First, would you agree with that assessment? I think it's mixed. And so, yes, I think there's a lot of opportunity for organizations to focus more on that. And again, to get deeper into what does it mean? How does it show up in the tough moments, in the tough situations? And that's where culture really defines itself, is in challenges and is in conflict. And when you're going through a challenging period like we have been, that's when it really shows up. And those are the moments where you get to really define who you are, who you aren't. And so I think organizations sometimes don't work on that stuff enough. Although I think we've seen some great signs from leaders and organizations like Kroger and Procter & Gamble, what they've done in the past few months, that they are committed to those things. And they're recognizing, I think organizations more and more are recognizing, like, if we do the right thing internally, our people will do the right thing externally. Right. I think you're right. It is starting to show up. Greg, especially for our CEO listeners, can you help them get a little purview insight to what you do to do everything that you were talking about with culture? I think... You've been doing it so long, you forgot how much energy you put into it, like how frequently you're assessing the culture and what you're doing about it and how you're nurturing it. Just a few of those points could be really helpful for our listeners. Yeah. You know, they may feel a little trite, but communication is critical. You can't communicate enough and transparency is critical. You really need to share everything. And if you're questioning whether or not we should share something or not, then you're probably not sharing enough. And there are certain things, we all know, there's certain things that there's limits to what can, can be done out of confidentiality for various reasons. But for the most part, opening up your organization creates an environment of trust. So that's a foundational thing. The more you can create transparency and trust, and so, so part of trust, I think, comes out of transparency and just sharing every aspect of everything going on as frequently and as authentically as you can and as vulnerably as you can. You don't have to have all the answers. And if you don't, just say that. The other part, in addition to being transparent, is being consistent. So you can't just say, even in the past few months, 
I've heard some leaders say, we're all in this together. And then the rest, you know, later in the week, lay a bunch of people off. Are all of us in this together or are some of us in this together? <laughs> and, and so you can't have the inconsistency like that. Hmm. So those are big things to creating trust. And then I think another piece of it that's really critical is helping translate that through all the other leaders in the organization. Because there is no one person. It's easy for a CEO to be able to say and do what they want to say and do. But when you're in a, a mid-level leadership position and you feel the tension from a lot of directions, you need real clarity of how am I supposed to lead? How am I supposed to act in this environment? If I get the culture people saying I'm supposed to do one thing, but the real incentives and motivations and rewards are telling me something else, then I've got a lot of conflict and tension. I think it creates a real strain on the organization. So it sounds like you're watching a lot of different factors. What do you consciously go through? I know you're doing an organizational survey. Are you doing it every month now or more frequently? You're getting that feedback. You're talking to your leaders. Are you making cultural observations to determine, are we on track? Aren't we on track? How do you manage it from a day-to-day basis? Yeah, we do a monthly survey. We call it Tier Oneometer, and we've done it for years. Actually, we do it quarterly now. We used to do it monthly, but we did it monthly to collect more data points. But it helps orient. You have to measure, right? And so it helps us orient towards. And I always say, that, like, there's no objective right numbers. What matters really is the trend in the history. If we see something that we're asking about changing, we need to dig into why. What's going on there? We don't need to overreact. We just need to dig into it and understand it. And so that's one way. We have a monthly pulse all company meeting. A lot of people do that. It's a great opportunity to communicate. We try to bring a lot of voices into that. And then we have a lot of different ways of getting at people. We have a leadership summit where we bring everybody together. We have a leadership development program. So these aren't necessarily things that are unique to us. Lots of organizations use multi-channel approach. I have a bit of a podcast that I've been doing. I haven't been doing the past few months because I'm communicating differently, but We've used that for several years, and it's really the idea is a kind of a multi-pronged, multi-channel approach to reach people both directions. We use our social media tool, Yammer, just extensively, and so there's bi-directional communication on there all the time. People have a lot of comfort posting things. I think you have to create safe space, even when like what's being posted may not be what you have said, it may not even be something you agree with. That's when you really see the test. So you've got to hmm. support the articulation of those thoughts and constructively respond to them and not shoot them down. That's when I think culture starts to really get tested. I think that's when leadership really gets tested. Also. Are we trampling on people's ideas or are we helping try to shape them and give them more meaning even if we don't agree with them? Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. It sounds to me like there's quite a bit of rigor in the approach of leading a culture. It's different than leading individuals, but it's very clear to you that there are inputs to it and there are things to be looking for as outputs. I also imagine, Greg, I haven't walked around the office with you, but I imagine you're noticing behavior a lot, just as an indicator of, is that the tier one behavior that we're after or not? Especially, as you just said, when it gets difficult, when there's conflict, when we disagree, when we don't know what to do when we have a, a client that might be challenging us. I imagine those are the best times to be making observations as a CEO and as a leader. Yeah, I think so. And I think what you said there is really insightful. Like it is different leading individuals than it is leading culture. And I really do believe that is true. Leading culture is leading a system. 
And you do have to have a lot of observations and be able to stand back from the system and really pay attention to what you're seeing and hearing. What is noise? Because you'll always have noise, especially when you do surveys, especially when they're anonymous surveys. Like there can be a tendency to overreact to like two people said this. Well, okay, is that two people who are struggling? And that's okay. That's going to happen, right? Or is that something we need to dig into more deeply and find out is there a pervasive problem there? So there is this whole observation and system of listening and finding data points. And then I do think being really intentional about situations that whether it's an individual whose response or treatment of someone or handling of a situation was not aligned with what you want, that how you handle that really matters. Because again, it becomes a building of trust or not. And it doesn't matter. Like you might think, well, I'm just dealing with this person and so nobody else is going to know how I handle it. That's never the case. That's what starts to shape culture. It permeates. Every story starts to permeate. Mm. So it's every action, every behavior, every situation builds and accumulates and creates a multiplier effect on the culture itself. So I think that gets taken for granted a lot. I think it's hard as a leader to be so conscious all the time of how everything you do and say has an effect on the organization. I think you're so right. There's almost a magnifying glass upon the top leader in organization that's just on them at all times. And I've often said to clients, every behavior, every time you have a good mood or a bad mood, (laughs) it's going to be noticed. People are watching you very closely. And it's, yeah, it's not fair, but it is the responsibility of your job because people are role modeling after you. They're following your lead. Let me give you some additional feedback. Here's one of the things that somebody said about you, Greg. What makes Greg unique is that he consistently leads with his head and his heart, never allowing one to overrule the other. He is transparent and helps us expect more of ourselves. He is also reasonable and vulnerable while generally caring, trusting, and serving. Wow. When you read that, I would say, yeah, I'd love to put that into a competency, of course, (laughs) and name it something. But I'm just going to name that Greg because I think that's authentically you. And if that's the role model for your organization, listeners, you're going to have people in your organization that are able to do the same thing. In fact, they're looking for that because they want to draft off of that kind of positive energy and that type of positive leadership. By what Greg does, he shows up in a different way on a day-by-day basis that enables the other leaders in his organizations to do the same thing. Greg, agree, disagree? Appreciate you sharing all that. And what I would say is the idea of leading with head and heart and I think what's important is that you put the effort in and that you authentically try these things because you get a lot of stuff wrong. And frankly, what I find is I feel like I'm cheating because when I get things wrong, I try to share that because people are so gracious and forgiving. And I think there's a tendency sometimes to want to hide that stuff. And sometimes the desire to get it all right can be paralyzing. And and in fact, in the times we're in right now, a CEO that I'm on a a large chain of communications with, you don't really want to be saying anything to your organization right now unless you make an unforced error, was the comment he made. And I totally understood the sentiment because he's like, there's just this fear of if I say the wrong thing or make a mistake. And But I think you can't fall into the trap of succumbing to that fear. Like you have to have the courage to just continue to act with your head and your heart and do what you think is best and keep working towards doing something better next time. So we have to give Patrick Lencioni credit for being the first person to talk about vulnerability-based trust 
you've heard me talk about that. And I just love that topic. And I think he's exactly right. That happens when there's a mistake and we're willing to admit it, where there's a mistake and we're willing to share it. There's a mistake and we're willing to say, hey, this is something I did. I apologize. And we're able to share in each other's humanness in terms of like things that don't always work right and business doesn't, but we don't judge and criticize each other to the point where we create a divisive culture. We create a collaborative culture of human beings that aren't always going to be perfect. So we're able to talk through the things like, I don't know exactly what to say right now is what I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking about Black Lives Matter and the riots that have gone across the world. It's a difficult situation. And I just want to say to everyone, it's okay to say, I don't know what to say. It's awkward. But in our humanness, we can say, and we will get through this. This is a priority to fix things and to make things better. Yeah. Well said, Don. And I think you do have to start there. I can speak for myself. I think a lot of the people over the past couple of weeks, I've not known what to say all the time. Mm-hmm. But I also know we've got to empathetically listen. We've got to commit energy. We've got to try to dig deeper into this. And I've reflected a lot on what's going on in the, just the racial dynamics and systems injustice that we're trying to work through and trying to understand like how do I fit into that I realized I have not put the work in to educate myself enough and I'm starting to and I've realized that the way I think I'm in a position of influence as most of us are right mm-hmm. one of the things we can do is step in and try to empathize and help and use our influence to help shape and steer and we know a lot about leadership and we know a lot about these types of human change and how you change people's minds and behaviors. And so how can we help apply that to these situations? And it starts with bringing people into the conversation and challenging people to let down their guard and start to think differently and just be open to other thoughts. And I've had to do that. And that's hard to try to do it yourself while you're trying to help other people do it. But it's it's a requirement and leadership's demanding. No one said it's, it's easy. As I share with the organization, I'm like, simply being out in front of people and kind of taking them to where they're already going is not leading. Leading is influencing people who are going somewhere else or who are on a different path and trying to shape that. In these times, in this situation, that is needed more than ever. Not by like me or you, just us, but by everyone. Mm-hmm. We need to lead our family members. We need to lead our friends into yes. thinking differently and opening up thoughts. Yes, even when it's uncomfortable. Even when we disagree, I love the theme that we're coming up with today. Culture is so powerful. Leadership can shape culture, but it's the times where maybe it looks like it's rough or has rough edges or it's sharp or it's not working exactly the way we want it. That's when it really defines who we are. And if everything's smooth and easy and flowing the right direction, that's a good example of positive culture. But the real underbelly of culture shows up when things get tough and complex and things we haven't seen before. And leaders know how to step into that in an authentic and vulnerable way. You, I think, have been very conscious about your role as a leader. I think you're probably a little bit more of an introvert than an extrovert. Is that right? Yes. Not much. And so I just say that to our listeners because Greg has mastered the ability to listen empathically, as he just said. Part of it is he leans into that because he might have maybe a little bit of a preference going that direction. But the other part of it is I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you've worked really hard at leading yourself. To me, there's three aspects of leadership, leading yourself, leading teams, and then leading the organization. And we've been talking about culture and organizations, kind of that third aspect. Let's jump to the first one. What have you done consciously over your career 
to lead yourself differently. And this ties into what we we're just talking about with becoming better leaders for societal change. I think it starts within us. But what are your thoughts about what you've done that seems to make the biggest difference? How have you helped yourself grow in the ability of leading yourself? So I think a handful of things that aren't necessarily really profound. One is, I'll call it mentorship, whether it's formally that or not, from everybody. I feel like every time I sit down with anyone, and some often people in our organization who are maybe new to the organization, there's an opportunity to learn something. So that's just embracing people with that mindset of like, there's so many perspectives and ideas and to bring in and to think about and to process. We've done that from the time we started Tier One. We used to say we just listened to everybody. Like when we were starting a company, we would listen to everyone. And I'm also kind of corollary to that is don't take advice from anyone. You got to listen, but then you have to process with your own context because you live in your own world and you have to bring this stuff into your world. So listening to people and just pouring yourself into learning from everyone you can and recognizing like every situation and every person, regardless of what their field is, regardless of their job is, has an opportunity to teach you something that you can transfer into what you're doing. My second one is reading a lot. I know you're a huge reader, Don, and it's intake of a lot of ideas and perspectives and themes and frameworks and models and beliefs and processing them together. I write a lot for my own sake, and I love the quote, something along the lines of, I write to discover what I think. I just love that, that viewpoint because that is the way I am. I'm like, put a pen or, or on paper or type, and my thoughts become more clear. And that, to me, is the process of the synthesis of a lot of this. And then some of the stuff that you guys do, as you know, I've been through the 360s multiple times of different sorts over the years. And that's been invaluable, the idea of digging deep into one area and really developing competency I'm a big believer in. I'm a big believer in learning from peers. I have used peer groups at times, for sure, several different ones. I have a preference more towards one-on-one kind of peer discussions, but both have been valuable. So just trying to find a lot of different sources. I would say you're a highly engaged learner. Would that be fair? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I enjoy the process of learning and discovery and becoming. With that brings a lot of opportunities to be different, think different, do different. Think back over your career, and as your organization has grown phenomenally, you've had so much great growth and now have over 200 people uh, working for your organization and what over half a dozen locations throughout the United States. That's not what you started with. You've been blessed with a lot of growth, but with organizational growth comes the need for leadership growth, for leadership ability to be improved and to evolve and pivot. Can you think of any times throughout your career where you were really, as you were seeking this feedback and information from others and trying to be a good learner, where it just became abundantly clear to you that your leadership needed to shift and you did some things intentionally to do that. I've shared with people, you know, we started the three of us, I guess, 18 years ago now. And I've shared with people that I feel like we're on maybe the fourth that we've actually been talking now about the fifth version of the company. Mm. <laughs> and I've also shared like, I've been in essentially the same role from the beginning. And yet every few years, once I kind of feel like I figured it out, it feels like it changed underneath me. <laughs> once I kind of nailed down these things that fit this company that we were, something else was required. And that's both somewhat frustrating and somewhat energizing, right? Like you get to step in and grow into something else. And I think in those inflection points, I've really tried to lean on outside, on my partners, Kevin and Norm, on 
outside advisors, on outside on perspectives and, and inside advisors, but just lean on other people to be able to step back and say, okay, where are we? And what's different about what I was doing from what I'm going to need to do? And what is kind of central to what I'm stepping into? And which is, of course, the hard part because it's a little bit unknown what you're stepping into. But when you're smaller, there's a lot more personal relationships, right? And there's a lot more personal mm-hmm. development individuals. And when you're bigger, you're cascading through a lot of different things. And of course, in the transitions and hopefully will become much, much bigger. So there's a lot to figure out in the future. There's just different elements of that and different nuances along the way and important nuances, how much communication, what type of communication, who to communicate to, who to communicate through. For the past several years, that was one of the biggest things is recognizing I needed to step out of a lot of situations and create space for other leaders to lead in that. Mm. That can be a difficult transition. That's huge. Just to say, where do I need to create space for others to lead? That Maybe you're taking up too much space with your energy, your style, your title. All those can be inhibitors for others to grow in leadership. And when you're an organization of your size, growing other leaders has to be predominantly one of the things that you're constantly thinking about, not just your own leadership effectiveness, but your leadership team. It might be helpful to talk to the listeners about your focus on developing leaders within the organization and know it's a priority to you. And your people are extremely busy. They're like any other organization right now that really didn't slow down through COVID because your clients were still operating and looking for solutions from you guys. And the work that you do is highly valued. So I don't get the sense that you guys slowed down at all, but you also kicked off a pretty strong leadership development process at the same time. Why? What's the priority there? And you know, what's your thinking as a CEO, of the leader of leaders? Yeah, well, broadly speaking, we've identified a leadership capacity as one of our strategic priorities for the years to come, even before all this stuff happened. And mm-hmm. we just recognize, and meaning that in the most general sense, so our ability to lead clients, our ability to lead people internally, you recognize that we have a very distributed organization, very intentionally. So, so not real hierarchical. It is structured, but it's a, we call it a dynamic structure, and it's really centered around clients. And to do that, it creates a lot of autonomy and engagement and attracts a lot of people. You have a lot of distributed authority. You can create some real engagement by people. But it requires really strong aligned leadership for it to work. Mm-hmm. And so we align it around a set of principles and a set of values and values in action that we talk about and help people understand what are those principles. Again, to do that, you've got to invest in the leadership. So not just that they're good leaders, but that they're good leaders inside the context of who we are. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference. You can have strong leadership skills in, in a different culture, in a different setting, in different context, and then translate them into here, and it might, you might struggle, and vice versa. And so that's what we're investing in, is helping you understand what your leadership strengths are inside the organization that we have. You ask, why do that? In our view, as we think about growth and having a bigger impact and a, a more profound impact on the world and having you know, continued financial growth and the like, we recognize that leaders are the key lever. So if you think about doing your job as the key, that's not a high leverage point. If you think about doing your job and bringing other people along and developing others in the process, that's a big leverage point. And so your ability to not just do what you do well, but to lead and to bring others up and to expand the scope of your impact and influence is the critical bottleneck for us to become more of what we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. 
I love that. Leaders are the key lever. I hadn't thought about that before. You're exactly right. When I think about leadership, one of the things that I always scratch my head with as I love talking to extraordinary leaders about how they became really good at their trade of leading others. And the stories, as you know, are very organic. (laughs) It's unique to each and every person where they kind of piece things together. For our listeners, since we're trying to discover this process of how do I grow my skills as a leader, and some will not have the resources that you bring to your clients. For those listeners that don't know, Tier 1 has got some of the best solutions the world when it comes to people development. And they work with these clients that we announced at the beginning of the podcast that really highly value that. So, you know, part of what you guys do for your clients is bring this to life. But when you think about your own organization and you think about how you've developed yourself as a leader, what things might you suggest to our listeners that could be helpful in terms of their leadership development, things that they might be able to do to grow the most as a leader? I think growth has to start with some level of reflection and mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Jerry Hamburg and our team often says, having holding up multiple mirrors to you to see different aspects of yourself. And there isn't one mirror that shows the whole picture. And so there needs to be reflection. There needs to be reflection on the experience and how you showed up as a leader in your organization or how you show up as a leader in your life. And so what that, how you get at that, there's a lot of different ways, right? Like you can do a classic 360, and I think that's a good process. But it can also just be through dialogue with people and asking people of how you show up. But you've got to go in with a lot of vulnerability and openness if you're going to do that. And I think that's a critical starting point is how am I received? And what are the strengths I bring? Because you really need to know your strengths. And a lot of people don't really fully understand their strengths. They take them for granted. And are there things that are holding me back from being as effective as I could? And asking those questions. And if there's significant things holding you back, I think you got to work on those. And you need advisors, whether it's a coach or a confidant or a colleague, to hold you accountable to recognize those things if you truly want to change it. I mean, if you don't want to change it and you want to dismiss it, that's up to you. But if you really want to grow, that's the way you have to go about that. And then I am a believer, as I know you are, of picking a thing, a competency, a space, and really working hard at it versus trying to work at everything at once. We just know you can't work on so many things at once. And it's hard enough to work on one thing. And you do it in micro behaviors and micro changes to the way you do your work. So those are some specific things. Like if you want to grow in the specific impact of behavior of leaders, I think that's the way. The general, I would go back to learning and reading and listening to outstanding leaders. But a lot of us do that and it doesn't necessarily take root in our behavior. It takes root in our thought and our beliefs, but it doesn't necessarily change the way we show up. That's where it really matters is, you know, I can know a ton about leadership and I can know a ton about what's supposed to be done and what other people have said and I can quote everybody. But if it doesn't affect the actual behaviors I show up with at work, then it's not going to do a whole lot of good. You just hit the nail on the head. I, you know, somebody would walk into my office and look at my bookcase and see all these leadership books. And in fact, I had a friend one time walk in and kind of facetiously said, have you really read all these? (laughs) And I laughed because I thought, hmm, I think I know what you're saying. Maybe I don't exhibit all of the behaviors that are in all of these because I have read most, if not all of them. It's hard (laughs) to be a leader today. It's complex. It's challenging. And I think to your point, Greg, it's all about behavior change. If we're going to get better, that means our behaviors have to shift our mindsets have to shift accordingly to support those behaviors. 
that's hard work. I assume that you've probably read James Clear work in Atomic Habits. And just to give a quick shout out to that book, that's one of the best books I've read on behavior change and helping set yourself up for success. But have you come across anything that we could offer to the listeners that might also be helpful when it comes to you know changing some of those hardwired behaviors and mindsets that might be holding them back from being a better leader? I think that is a good one. And I think there are a lot of good books out there. But I think it's just even understanding it, like mm-hmm. recognizing that leadership is just a composite of the individual behaviors that you show up with. Mm-hmm. It isn't some grandiose personality style. It isn't some dynamic communication. It is just a composite of the behaviors you show up with, how you treat people, what you say in the, in the micro and how you act in the micro. And if you don't recognize that fact, then you're not going to change those things. I also think it's really important. You said something a little bit earlier about leadership is demanding. It's hard. And I think it's important to recognize leadership really is exhausting. And Mark Thompson, who we both know, uses this metaphor. And yeah. I've always really loved that. He says, leaders have to go out, out in front of everybody and go look at what's out there and go explore. And then they got to run back and tell everybody and bring them with them. And then they got to run back out and see what's out there again. And they got to run back. That metaphor always stuck with me because it does feel that way. It feels like you're constantly trying to see this vision. And a lot of leaders that I see can be really good at that part. And they're almost kind of worn out by the part of bringing everybody else along because it can be frustrating. Like, it seems so obvious. Can you just see that? But when you've spent so much energy and thought seeing what that vision is, you got to help create space for other people to process and get there too. And that's something I think we as leaders take for granted as well is, it's not just saying something or sharing something. You've got to create the space for other people to arrive at the same conclusions and the same beliefs. And that can be frustrating and time-consuming and exhausting, but it's a really important part of it as well. Yeah, when we think about resistance to change, which is predominantly there every time we try to change something, some form of resistance, it often comes from leaders who don't have the empathy that they've been thinking about the change a lot longer than the people that they're pushing the change onto. And So to your point, how do you create that space so that people can catch up with you if you've been thinking about something for a long time? You've convinced yourself something needs to change and they just heard the idea for the first time. You're at two different places and I love your thinking about creating space, which has come up a couple of times today. Maybe that's the message. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's a huge part of leadership is creating space. And I think it's one that is, we talk about organizations and it is one that the push towards productivity and efficiency in organization works against that. Mm-hmm. We overlay, we need more people to do more. We're taking away people and taking away resources and middle management and upper management is just compressed. And then we're saying, okay, and also lead this change. Yeah. <laughs> Without even giving them space to figure out the change in the first place. That is difficult, if not impossible, dangerous because it's taxing on people. <laughs> and It's one of the biggest things that organizations need to recognize is that there is the creation of space, the willingness to be more, a bit more inefficient with people's time can have exponential impact on productivity because it allows you to get things right and to really think things through. It's the go slow to go fast kind of principle and those mindsets of you've got to be willing to deal with some of the inefficiency and messiness that space and collaboration and thought takes to have profound impact from the work that comes out of it. 
Wow, that's a big idea. That's a really big idea, especially when many of us are thinking about how do we help our organizations get propped back up on their feet and just maybe start over post-COVID in a different way and try to to work as hard as we can for just the survival of our organizations. And for those companies that are in that challenge, my heart goes out to all of you because it is going to be a challenge to not just get back on your feet, but as Greg just said, learn to go slow, to go fast and create space for your people to develop themselves as leaders. Greg, is there anything else that you were thinking in preparation for today's conversation that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I'm always going to want to do a plug for thinking and taking care of people's mental well-being and mental health. In the past few months, I think it's had a heightened attention, put a lot of stress on people's lives. And as you know, Don, we, as an organization and myself, as well as an individual, have poured ourselves into some of the mental health space. And and honestly, it started out of just interest in the humanity of helping people be healthier and deal with mental illness. But I've come to realize it's an incredibly important part of leadership and organizational culture as well is if you want people to perform at their best, if you want them to reach their potential, if you want them to the organization to fulfill what's capable of, you have got to deal with the reality of the mental stress and anxiety and taxing work that that is placed upon people. And it is everywhere, you know, uh, one in five people in a given year deal with a mental illness and one and two in their lifetime will, and pretty much everybody is supporting somebody who's dealing with mental illness. And so recognizing that fact, I've said recently, and I absolutely, I don't believe this is hyperbole, the number one thing that I think leaders can do and organizations can do to improve the performance of their organization is deal better with mental health and wellness. Wow. You can deal with that and help people deal with that. I think the productivity improvement and performance improvement that you can get out of that is tremendous. That's beautiful. Number one thing, I've not heard you say that before, that is putting it out there. I believe it. I really do. I think if you could add up all the hidden costs that it has, I mean, again, you start from the humanity of it. It's just the right thing to do. But the payoff from a more organization perspective of people dealing directly with mental health, mental well-being and mental illness and, and the people and those around them who are suffering, I think it's just tremendous. The cost that's buried into the organization from that. Well, thank you for speaking out about it. I know you're a big supporter of the Lindner Center for Hope, and they do phenomenal work. They're just here in Mason, right down the road from me, and I've always respected their organization. I have taken friends there before, and the stigma associated with mental illness is so horrible that it's really, really hard in today's culture for anyone to put themselves out there to say, I, I need help and I need support. But as Greg said, one in five people do, and they go largely unnoticed until there's some bad behavior and then they're ridiculed for that so-called mental illness that they're battling. So yes, thank you for bringing that up. It's a great insight and I appreciate that. And let me just do a shout out to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in today and listening to our podcast. You may have a question. Greg and I would be glad to answer any questions you have. You can go to talentmagnetinstitute.com backslash podcast and leave your question, and we will get back to you as soon as possible. I'm so honored to be with you today. I think we talked about some important things, and it's hard to put all your years of experience into a 35, 40-minute podcast, but I thought you did a great job, so congratulations. Well, thanks. I enjoyed it, Don. I appreciate you and Mike having me on, and appreciate the opportunity to talk to the listeners. And as you know, anybody who wants to get engaged in any of these topics, I'm always up for conversation, so anybody can feel free to reach out anytime. 
That's great. Maybe you'll get some people reaching out on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you to everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.